Good morning and welcome. This is Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV in Waterbury, Vermont. Uh, we have a great show coming up and uh, we will be starting with a name you may be familiar with, Chris Palarmo. He is running for the Morristown Select Board and we'll hear all about what's going on in Morrisville. Uh, at 9.45, David McWilliams is joining us. He's running for the St. Albans Town Select Board in two seats, not one. So we'll see what that looks like. And then at uh, 10.15, Sarah Carpenter from Burlington is running uh, for re-election Ward 4, Burlington City Council race. And we'll hear about what the big issues are in Burlington. Uh, we know the mayoral race is... Uh, Probably going to capture a lot of the news on Tuesday night, but a lot of other things going on around uh, Vermont that are of interest to all of us. And with that, I want to welcome to the show Chris Palarmo. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me today. It's uh, it's great having you here. This may be more familiar to you than to me, <laughs> the studio. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I spent a lot of time here when we were in the furniture business uh, in a studio just down the hallway doing radio ads here. So this is all familiar territory. It honestly, it doesn't look a whole lot different. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem to have changed. It it, it's kind of like a museum in Waterbury, I always say. Uh, so you are in Morristown and running for a select board for a two-year seat? Is it? I am, yes. Yeah. The um, I was appointed back in mid-April to fill a vacancy of a resignation of Bob Beeman. And uh, I was uh, to fill his unexpired term. And then in August, um, because of a special election on a budget, um, I was uh, I ended up having to to run for that seat for the unexpired term. And I was successful in that election campaign. And that town meeting day, uh, March 5th, I will be uh, running for the two-year seat. Okay. Uh, and what is um, – you have – prior experience, what's your motivation for, for public service? You've, you've done it as well. I have. Well, I think, um, you know, I served as, um, as a member and vice chair of the Waterbury Select Board for 16 years. And also prior to that, I was on the planning commission and a member and chair for eight years on the planning commission here in Waterbury. When I sold my uh, funeral home here in Waterbury in September of 2020 and we relocated to Morristown on property that we own, my wife and I own there, um, the opportunity to um, – once again, get into public service, serving on the select board, presented itself. And uh, I was one of 12 candidates. Um, I really didn't expect to get appointed to that vacancy, um, being a fairly new resident of Morristown. But I think that my prior experience on the Waterbury select board, uh, they felt that it brought quite a bit to the table. And um, honestly, serving in public service on a board um, is is an opportunity to bring critical and creative thinking to solving problems. And quite frankly, I love it. Mm. Is this a family tradition or? 
Well, I mean, if you go back to my great-grandfather, Real Perkins, he served in the Vermont legislature and as a village trustee here, trustee here in Waterbury. My grandfather was a village trustee here in Waterbury. My uncle, Rusty Parker, who was well-known here in DEV and in the surrounding area, was chairman of the Board of Selectmen here in Waterbury for many years. And um, so, yeah, I think it's in our blood. <laughs> it sounds like it is. Well, thank you for your service, of course. Uh, it's, it's can be thankless at times, but very rewarding as well. It is. Is it like riding a horse? Um, you had Waterbury under your belt. You'd had a few rides and is, is Morristown similar or are they, are communities very different? Um, I think Morristown is very different. Um, you know, we are probably twice the size of Waterbury in terms of our municipal budget. Our highway department is twice the size of Waterbury's. We have a full-time police department. Uh, we have two unions uh, represented uh, through the IBEW in Morristown. Waterbury didn't have any unions. So it's a it's a different dynamic. Um, it presents its own series of challenges. But it, with those challenges are pretty unique opportunities. So um, it's been a... It's been a welcome learning curve and a, and a, a welcome challenge to take a look at where Morristown is and really where Morristown needs to go. And you had returned, it was sort of your wife's roots in that area. Did that mean that you had an infrastructure of, of friends and, and people you knew over there or were unlike Everybody knowing you here in Waterbury, did were you sort of the stranger in the kingdom? <laughs> I, 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 you know, my wife has, you know, multi generational connections to Morristown, and she knows a lot of people still there, and has, has stayed connected with her community and family there. I'm pretty much uh, a new, um, a new nuance there, um, but I've quickly gotten to know, you know, quite a few people, and. Um, it's been very rewarding. And all the select board meetings are televised, right, to they the are. local access they channel. They are. They're yeah. live. Yeah. So you, you become well-known pretty quickly whether you want to or not. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about Morrisville and, and Morristown. Um, I, I was telling you off air, I – Go there a lot. We have ten sheep. We buy grain at your your local uh, store, Menards, which is just wonderful. Uh, it's a it's a sheep grain that I've used for four years, so we stick with it. Uh, the restaurants there, the sandwich shop has these great desserts, beautiful sandwiches. It's a good community. <laughs> It's a wonderful community. Um, you know, it's an economic hub for Lemoyal County. Um, there's major employees there, employers there. Um, you know, you have Manufacturing Solutions, Inc., which is MSI, which is a significant employer. You have Concept2. You have Butternut Mountain Farms. You have Copley Hospital and its affiliates. Um, you have a number, you know, you have, you know, um, hardware stores and restaurants. It's a very... Um, active and, and um, wonderful um, economic base and service-based community. And what are uh, the challenges you're seeing um, as a as a select board member? What are what are, what's at the top of the food chain for? Well, coming out of a pandemic, 
economic crisis for municipalities. Um, that was a huge, um, you know, huge hurdle to try to get beyond. I mean, we went from an inflation of 5.6% to 8.7%. It affected wages. It affected your bottom, you know, your um, total budget in terms of, um, of, of increases in taxpayer dollars to pay for those things. Um, so to pass a budget last year, it took us three tries. You know, the original proposal before I was on the board, it was 28.5% increase. Um, you know, I came into the end of the second budget cycle. Um, that went down two to one. Um, part of that was also complicated because of the reappraisal process that Morristown was going through. I was fully involved in the third uh, budget iteration. We were able to get down the, to an increase of 9.2%, and with the growth of the grand list, it really brought it down to about 7.7%. But that was a bare-bones budget. And um, this year, um, our proposal for fiscal year 24-25 is going to be a 4.2% uh, budget increase over this past, uh, this current fiscal year. Um, when you add in the um, service agency requests, which there are a number of them, it brings us up to about 4.3%. Not bad, though. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't believe so. I mean, on a $500,000 home, you're looking at a tax increase of about $126. So a lot of uh, properties in Vermont with, with the pandemic, uh, houses were selling way over market value for quite a while. And uh, your county certainly experienced that. And Elmore area and Morrisville and I don't know about Wolcott as much, but what what did that how did that impact everything for you? When we did the reappraisal this past year, what we found that the average increase in property values was about forty percent. So um, obviously, you know, with that being the baseline, you know, people who had done you know. Uh, improvements on their homes, you know, added to garages, did uh, interior improvements, expanded. They were going to see a larger increase. Um, but with the reappraisal, our tax rate went from a dollar five to sixty-nine cents. So there's that offset. Yeah. You know, people often think that you know because your reappraisal is going up, your taxes are going to go up equally as much. But there, you only have to raise X amount of dollars in tax revenue. So if your base goes up, your tax rate goes down, so it evens off. But the 40% margin was really the equalizer. Fortunately. (laughs) We are talking this morning with Chris Chris Palarmo, who is running for Morristown Select Board. Uh, uh, He has been serving on the Select Board and is uh, up for March 5th for a two-year term. Uh, Chris Morristown, like many municipalities, are really a service industry to the community, which means a lot of employees. Can you talk sort of about the the infrastructure and your employee base? And- Absolutely. Um, like you said, um, municipalities, you know, Morristown um, 
in particular is a $9.7 million service industry. We don't manufacture anything. We don't sell anything. What we do is we provide services to our citizens through EMS, police, highway, general government. You know, um, we, we are able to do all of these things because of our employees. And I want to give a shout out to Morristown employees because they are the heart and lungs of what makes all of this work. We have long tenured uh, employees um, and are true professionals in their vocations, in their departments. And uh, we are extremely fortunate to have the institutional knowledge and their uh, abilities um, to help uh, take care of our citizens 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and uh, without them, uh, things would look much different, and uh, it's a true testament to their abilities. It's really soup to nuts of services, right? It is. You know, uh, the, the police, uh, you have a full-time police department. We do. Right, uh, with a chief and, and uh I was having a sandwich in the sandwich shop across from the police station and two officers came in to get some lunch and one of them was the biggest man I've ever seen in my life. And I thought, well, I bet that helps with crime a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, we, um, you know, Morristown has seen an uptick in, uh, in crime. And uh, we've had a couple of police forums that's been sponsored by our police department. It's brought in partnerships from uh, the sheriff's department, uh, the state's attorney, as well as our local legislators. And there needs to be fundamental change in terms of legislation that gives real teeth to the ability to um, to arrest uh, and prosecute um, repeat offenders. You know, this, this catch and release program doesn't work. You know, we have, you know, individuals who have a, over a hundred arrests that are still waiting to, to go to a court hearing that are continuing to offend. And, um, there needs to be a different process. So one of the things on our stuff to do list, I think, as a legislative body, elected a legislative body is to work with our, our uh, law enforcement partners and our legislative uh, leaders at the state house to really try to propagate change in, in legislation. There's a bill right now, um, it's H-534, which would um, make some differences in terms of repeat offenders if you go in and uh, and steal $850 worth of merchandise and you, you do it again next week because you've been caught and released and you do it the following week, you know, once it gets over the $900 threshold, it becomes a felony, you know. So there, there needs to be uh, a crime and punishment um, metric that helps take people off the streets and if it's a substance abuse issue that's motivating these things, then we need to be able to address those issues in a fair and equitable way and help people get the, the, the help that they need. And do municipal leaders have an influence on, on this? I, I mean, you're the boots on the ground, right? So are, are you able to communicate? Do you feel like you're communicating effectively to legislators about the problem? I think that um, 
it's sometimes easy to sort of stay in your own lane and try to you know, to focus on the things that that are right in front of you. But I think on a broader perspective, it's incumbent upon us to take the time and make the effort to partner with our legislators to propagate change, even if they're not committee members of the Judiciary Committee. We need to have a stronger voice, and we need all of the ingredients to make that cake, to make that thing happen. And, um, and I think if we don't do that, then we're falling down on our responsibilities. It is a statewide problem, the, the substance use addiction problem, of, of course, as you pointed out. Uh, uh, well, a number of municipalities are now um, having embedded workers with their police force um, who are m- mental health or, or whatever specialists. Is, is Morristown getting heading in that direction, or are you there? I think that, you know, uh, Morristown has a very strong relationship with uh, Lamoille County Mental Health Services. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, last year there was a program, it was called an ASAP program, and it was really an alcohol and substance awareness program, which basically provided space for people who had substance abuse or alcohol abuse issues that were arrested needed to be detoxed. Rather than to take them to St. Johnsbury to jail, we could utilize the space in Lamoille County. And the benefit that that brought was is that it engaged those folks who were having issues with people who could help them process forward and get the help that they need to change addiction, to, to, to help their lifestyle change. And that program ended back in the middle of last year because of funding. They had grants that were funding this. Um, those grants um, dried up. So I think that not only working about, you know, the process of, of working with legislators on crime, I think we also need to take a look at funding, funding sources to reinstitute this type of program because it benefits everybody. And you were talking a little bit earlier about uh, the res- hopefully educating, I think is what I was hearing, prosecutors and judges as well, right, to be part of the, the whole system so that they understand? Well, I think they're fully aware of what the issues are. I think their hands are tied because of, of legislation that's transpired over the last several years that have basically, in, in my humble opinion, watered down the ability to, to, um, to hold people accountable. And I think that we need to revisit that to um, – to make sure that we're taking people off the streets that are reoffenders, it's it's unfair to the citizens. It's unfair to our our partners in the business community that are the, suffering these crimes, and we need to help these people um, that are reoffending to get to a better place and a healthier place. Well, I'm reminded now of uh, of the feed store where I get my grain, where the the door that I used to go in is locked, and there's only one entrance now. Right. Um, just, and there was a sign on the door. You know, there's been too much shoplifting. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, we had a local bike store that lost eight thousand dollars worth of merchandise. Oh my goodness. You know, and I mean, there's a number of stories. Um, so um, this is, I think, should be you know one of the, our top things on our stuff-to-do list um, going into this next year. And 
I think what you were saying also, it, it's not, it, it also is to, to help the human being who is, who is the, committing the crime try to get them on a better path too. Right. I mean, it's not just about incarcer- incarceration and yeah. punishment. It's about helping people get to a better place. We all live in this community. We're all human beings and we need to be treated as such. We are talking this morning with Chris Palarmo. Uh, he's running for the two-year seat in Morristown, uh, the select board seat. And uh, the challenges that municipalities are uh, are facing, if you want to join our discussion, give us a call at 802-244-1777. Uh, we have a couple minutes or about a minute um, before we go to the break. Um, I did notice you have a lot of articles on your ballot. No, 30. <laughs> yeah. Is that, you're a generous town, it looks like. Well, we have a lot of service agencies that are, are requesting funding, uh, this year. And, um, so, and it, um, you know, really spans the, the gamut in terms of, of needs, um, for different organizations. And, and that's sort of countywide, the services that you're, you're bonding for, or not bonding, but. Well, I think that one of the things that, one of the criteria that we look for is, is that, yes, some of these are countywide, uh, organizations, but what is it that they bring to the, to the town of Morristown? Yeah. You know, do, do the dollars raised in Morristown, do they stay in Morristown? And I think that's part of the conversation. Right. Um, we're going to come back after the break. Uh, I am interested also in sort of the, the housing market and the rental market and how that impacts the community. And also the, a lot of homes were bought by out of staters, right? That, that are, they're not even particularly residents of Morristown now. Well, I think that, uh, we had some zoning changes where, um, you re- actually need to be a resident uh, if you're going to run like an Airbnb. So, um, you know, the the ability to market uh, property from afar and use it as a income generating uh, some of those um, some of those criteria have changed. Did that get challenged at all? I mean, it, you obviously were able to enact that kind of thing. There were out-of-staters not happy about that. Well, you know, that sort of predates my service. Yeah. So I probably am not the best to answer that question. Yeah. It's an interesting dilemma. Um, certainly, it's great that people can come and stay in your community, so that's good. Uh, Chris, one of the things I'm hearing municipalities are struggling with uh, generating revenues uh, costs are going up service costs are going up in all all respects what are some of the creative ways that you can uh, offset that you know there's very few options for municipalities to raise revenue and property tax is the main driver um, one of the things that um, has been important to me to bring to a discussion point to the community and to the board is the um, local option tax. Um, it is one of the few ways that the state allows municipalities to generate income to pay for infrastructure and other, uh, other uh, community needs. Um, you know, we are currently working sort of in a parallel roadway uh, of developing a charter, which is the, uh, is the pathway to being able to get legislative approval to uh, charge a local option tax. 
And then the other part is investigating the efficacy uh, of what that could bring to the table. Um, part of that is is doing the data dig in terms of where does that revenue come from. So if you know a large percentage of the income would come from out of state or out of town uh, shoppers uh, for both sales, rooms and meals, and alcohol tax, then that's that's a conversation that, that's really worth pursuing. Um, if the bulk of the revenue comes from in-town community members, then that's a game-changer as far as I'm concerned. But my suspicion is, and we have hired a consultant to do that data dig to show us distinctly where this revenue would be generated from, um, my suspicion is is that um, the bulk of this will be coming from out-of-state and out-of-town um, consumers. You know, we have significant infrastructure needs, um, you know, and uh, prior select boards um, to maintain a, a low tax rate uh, annually in their budgets have deferred maintenance on roads and sidewalks and facilities. And I think that it was all with good intention, but I think that it's caught up to us at this point. And we have some pretty significant needs. I mean, we have over 100 miles of roads that we need to maintain, and um, and we need a, a way to do that. And I think that the local option tax, um, if it bears the fruit that I think it will, um, is a viable option to make significant repairs and uh, replacements of sidewalks and roadways and facility needs. Is there a timeline on that that you see? Is this a couple years out if it gets enacted? Actually, uh, we formed a charter committee, uh, which uh, is a select board and three community members as well as some staff uh, to develop a charter. Um, We've hired a consultant to do the data mining in terms of where this revenue would be coming from. And we're hoping to put all of this together to bring to the town uh, voters in November. Quick, yeah. And then um, if all of that is approved, um, then we would go to the legislature in January to get a charter approval by the legislature so that the following year we could begin to see that income come in. Sounds like a a good project. Uh, A your town garage, that's an issue that um – Yeah, so um, five years ago, well, actually maybe three and a half years ago, um, the uh, municipality entered into a, a five-year lease agreement for a, a village garage. Um, the prior village garage that uh, was being operated was um, – Woefully too small, uh, was not uh, meeting the needs of the highway department. So they entered into a lease agreement with a local landlord. The garage that we're leasing right now is wonderful. It's beautiful, but we're never going to own it. And it's costing us $100,000 a year to to do that. So over a five-year period, we're going to spend half a million dollars in just rent. Uh, one of the things that our board is working on is looking at um, a request for a proposal from a consultant to take a look at consolidating our highway operations, our DPW operations, at our town garage location on Cochrane Road and seeing what our needs are overall for highway uh, equipment and staff 
and um, how viable it is for us to do consolidation and get out from underneath that type of lease agreement. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, you need a lot of sand and salt to <laughs> keep citizens safe, don't you? You do. You do, and you need a place to do it all. Yeah, and, and the trucks and everything. Uh, now, I know that you're not uh, running for a school board, but do you have an idea of if the uh, – is the municipality going to vote on the school budget or not? They are. The, um, the superintendent's office and the school board have decided to go ahead on March 5th to um, vote on the proposed school budget. So if all budgets pass, you pretty much know what the what the expenses will be moving forward. Voters will have a pretty good look at it? or Well, I don't know if there's been a projected tax rate for the school okay. um, based on all the machinations that's going on at the State House between Act 127, changing to um, House Bill 850, and what that's really going to look like. I don't, I'm not sure that uh, an actual tax rate is going to be able to be set until down the road, uh, until all school budgets either pass or or there's uh, at least a better feel for what the overall state expense is going to be and what the CLA is going to be. So um, I can tell you that, you know, the the town budget, um, it's very clear what the estimated tax is going to be on different appraised values. But with the school, um, that's a better question for them because I'm not sure that they have all the information they need to really project that. We were talking off air, and you have a very positive attitude about your community. Do you want to talk about that? You're moving forward in a very positive way. You know, Morristown um, is really in very uh, many measured ways uh, a unique and wonderful community. Um, You know, I equate – Morristown as being a large multi-generational family all living under the same roof. And uh, with that comes, uh, you know, old, old school thoughts, new school thoughts. And, um, and it's how that family comes together to iron out their differences and be able to move forward. Because after, at the end of the day, we're all family. And, um, and I think that, um, we're, we're very much on that path. I think that uh, it's been a very contentious year last year trying to get through three budgets. Um, and um, But I think the community is healing, and I think the community is uh, moving in a really good direction. Well, you mentioned 4.2 budget increase, which uh, from what I'm hearing in other communities is, is really low, although I think Milton – has you beat, which they're very proud of what they've done. So it it can be done. It can be. Um, but you still are. You mentioned how much you value employees, and that it's really the working uh, part of your community. So you're honoring them as well. So it's a balance. It is a balance, and I think that um, as a as a service industry, you know what what you have are employees that provide that service. And um, honoring union contracts and, and agreements and and seeing what you have for fixed uh, expenses, it's a real balancing act. And I think that the board has done an exceptional job in terms of balancing what the community's needs are in terms of providing services but doing it at a, at a most affordable cost. And it looked like you, you did come to some agreement on – 
uh, a floor and ceiling for wages with with employees that was acceptable? We did, and, and honestly, we found the IBEW and the negotiating team to be very amenable to making pretty significant changes in terms of how we approach uh, COLA increases. And uh, it was a real credit to our bargaining unit, a real credit to our employees in the um, in the union. But it was something that needed to happen. It was unsustainable. We cannot um, have such wide uh, uh, fluctuations in inflation that that affects our our uh, payroll. Gives you predictability. It absolutely gives us predictability, and that was really the goal. Yeah. Any last words for our listeners as we head into March 5th? Vote early and often. <laughs> Wait, that sounds like Chicago. <laughs> well, Chris Palarmo, pleasure talking with you this morning. Uh, we wish you the best of luck and uh, on Tuesday, March 5th. And we do hope people vote and welcome back to Waterbury. All right. Thanks very much for having me. It's great having you. This is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. We'll be back with David McWilliams, St. Albans Town Select Board Race, the two-year seat and the three-year seat. Back after this. Good morning and welcome back. This is Brad Furlan, your host on Vermont Viewpoint here at WDEV in Waterbury. Uh, we were just talking with Chris Polarmo as part of our series right now to talk about uh, races, uh, uh, select board races, council races around the state, uh, the issues that communities are facing. Yesterday we were in Milton and St. Albans, and uh, there's just there's a whole bunch of things going on. The school budgets are high. Some communities are voting on them. Some are not. They're choosing out for a couple months. So. Uh, we're, we're learning a lot more about that as we move to that March 5th date next Tuesday. And I want to welcome now my next guest, uh, David McWilliams running for St. Albans Town Select Board. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you very much to you, Brad, and also to your viewers on listening to what the politicians are going to tell you what they want to hear. Um, being honest, uh, you know, that is the way to be with your people that live in your town, which I represent St. Albans Town running for the select board. Yeah. And you're a longtime town resident. Uh, you've done a lot of service. Can you, can you tell our listeners ab- about that? Well, basically, I, I, I grew up and I've lived in St. Albans Town for probably about 55 years. You know, I am 72 years old. <clears throat> I will only be running for this office. I won't run for another term because I think once you get over a certain point, uh, sometimes, you know, you uh, lose your stamina. So, you know, I've worked uh, for the city of St. Albans for 38 years. I worked for the town of St. Albans, the town of Georgia, Swan and Highgate, doing their ACO. And I was a cook very young in life, you know, and I was also involved with helping you and some other people get Walmart to come to St. Albans Town, which is badly needed. Also, I was on the select board when we had Ben and Jerry's that came forward and wanted to come into St. Albans Town. So I was involved with Ben and Jerry's when they first came in uh, many years ago. And I was talking to my last guest about uh, how businesses uh, like Ben and Jerry's really do help uh with the revenue source for, for these ever-increasing taxes we're seeing. Uh, and and St. Albans Towns has a local option 
tax as well. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, we do have the local option tax. It's also paid for probably 80% of our town garage. And also money was used to build our brand new town hall down in St. Albans Bay. And that's a long story, uh, uh, whether it should have been there or whether it should have been taken somewhere else because the water quality down there is non-drinkable. Yeah, it did seem to take a little while to get that building open, we uh, saw. Um, so yeah. what are some of the things that you're really interested in, uh, David, um, in in the select board race that you think are important to the community? Well, the most important thing is that it's affordable to stay here in St. Albans Town. You know, with the budgets going up, our budget in St. Albans Town has gone up since 2014 as far as the municipal budget and it seems like uh even this new budget which is being before the voters on march 5th it's not gone down you know i i think that there's ways of saving money and helping save the taxpayers from putting their houses up for sale you know because they can't afford it because they're on a fixed pension you know or social security so uh i'm there to uh, try to get more business in st Albans town we have a big industrial park down near Ben and Jerry's that the new section has not been opened yet. You know, it's all the water sewer and stuff like that. Uh, the paved roads, you know, we need to get that going. Franklin Park West has uh, still got a lot of space up there. They'd like to get some light industry up there. We've got Beta, which is up in the old Everready plant, which is, you know, doing okay, you know, but we just need more income so that the people in St. Albans can stay here and can afford to live here in in St. Albans Town. And you uh, have served on the select board in the past a couple of times. Is this the same town that you knew when you were serving, or have things changed a lot? Well, some of the changes have been good. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, uh, we basically, you know, the reason I'm going again is to take and try to get you know, more industry into St. Albans Town, more jobs. Uh, you know, I, I did live uh, in a senior housing at one time, and I think there should be regulations pertaining to senior housing <clears throat> because the people rent there you know, have no option. If you don't like it, they don't fix it. You know, uh, they, they'll give you a letter saying you, you're at the end of your lease and they're not renewing it. So uh, a lot of our senior citizens that live in senior housing you know, some of the, uh, I would say, slum landlords don't take care of them, and they just you know, don't do any repairs. Uh, me, as an example, I made a complaint in reference to where I was living in a 50-unit place, and the uh, landlord would never fix anything. It was uh, fire violation codes that were not met. So I brought it to his attention, and uh, he didn't do anything about it, so I called him the state fire marshal. And I got my notice saying that I was no longer, my lease would not be renewed. You know, so there's no protection for the people that are running in these senior housing units, you know, the way they should. You know, we have about three of them in, in Franklin, uh, San Amadeo area. But I think, you know, there should be protection for our senior citizens. So if they're a good payer and they take care of their apartment, they shouldn't be evicted because of taking, making a complaint to the landlord first and then to the state fire marshal. And uh, you pride yourself on, on being a champion for causes and taxpayers. Is that right? 
Yes, I do. You know, I've always been that way. I've been a volunteer through different organizations. I started the Maine Society with Gladys Nieberg in 1975. Jim Warden, who was the police chief at that time, got me to take and get involved with it, and I was there for 29 years. I did animal control and humane officer work throughout Franklin County. I also was president of Public Access, Northwest Public Access TV station in St. Albans uh, for nine years. Prior to that, I was vice president for 10 years. I know how to run a business. I know where to save money. Therefore, you know, uh, you know, uh, I want to give it my last hurrah before I decide to pass over to to heaven or to heaven, you know, where I'll probably go because uh, I'm a servant of our church. I also work at St. Paul's Church. And I'm also on the senior center. I want to give a toots to the American Legion. Last night, we, uh, the senior center is in despair as far as getting our roof repaired. And the, uh, the American Legion post number one in St. Albans gave the senior center $20,000 to help for repairs on the roof and put in another chairlift. That's quite remarkable. You just listed about a dozen uh places and, and organizations that you've served in the community over a long period of time. What was sort of your, did you have role models that helped you uh, in this journey? Uh, who, who were people that gave you the idea that you, you know, public service was a good thing to be doing? Well, basically it was way back with Jim Ward. Jim Warden was the police chief in St. Albans. Sorry about that alarm. As you can probably hear, but it's not nothing major. He was the one that got me involved doing animal control and, you know, and going out there and, and working with farmers. And some farmers I had to close down because they didn't have the feed or didn't have the water here in Franklin County. My last case was two years ago when I had retired. Was <clears throat> I had four uh, Belgium horses down on Dunsmore Road and 24 sheep. And the person that owned uh, the property, uh, Queen Highly Walk, her well water froze. And she had bales around, bales of white with hay that are covered with that white plastic. They were eating through that. So with the help of the Franklin County Sheriff's Department and also the Maine Society of the United States, we went down and took possession of those uh, four large horses and 24 sheep and put them into new homes. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I got a call from uh, the president of the Vermont Sheep Association at that time because we... We also uh, have a small flock of sheep at, at at our farm, and they were looking to place them, but they they eventually did all head places. I guess it worked out, but yeah, you you've definitely had a lot of hats in the community, that's for sure. And yeah. and a shout out to the Humane Society that you really helped launch. It, it's it really is a very successful part of the community now. Well, you know, if you didn't have animal abuse, you wouldn't have, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need humane society because of neglect. People that, you know, take on these animals and can't afford to feed them or water them or, or put them, you know, cleaner cages and stuff like that. You know, uh, we used to have two research facilities here in Franklin County. Rosaire Parity up in Enosburg and George Thorson, uh, they used to, by animals for research, and you know probably one of the people, Mr. Gould Susslin, that his dog was bought from somebody bringing it up there, and it was found up there in Rosaire Parody's place. 
at a research facility, but both those research facilities are now closed. They've been closed for probably about 10 or 12 years now. Uh, we are talking this morning with David McWilliams. He is running for the select board in St. Albans for the two-year seat and three-year seat. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the fact that you're running for two seats and a little bit more about your experience and uh, why you want to continue uh, public service. Uh, you said that probably your last shot at it, but uh, you're, you're uh, continuing a long tradition. This is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV in Waterbury, Vermont. Be back right after this.